0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Tom. For those of you who don't know, thank you for being with us here today in person or joining us online. And today we're going to be talking about something that can bring us joy, hope, encouragement, and strength. Or it can bring us sorrow, despair, weakness, and discouragement. And sometimes this thing can bring us both of those on the same day. Some people have many of this thing. Some have few. Some have virtually none. And just mentioning it can bring mental joy or pain to our hearts. So I'm going to tell you now what it is, and I want you to watch or gauge your response to this thing. So here it is friendship. Friendship. For some of us, this word brings to mind people who bring us joy. And support in our lives and who bring fun for others it may bring up sorrow or despair or disappointment or discouragement or loneliness maybe we have lost a close friend maybe we used to have some good friends that moved away maybe we have recently experienced a fracture in some friendship that meant a lot to us maybe we hardly have any friends When you think about your life, who are your friends? What is a friend, anyway? One definition states a friend is a person you like and enjoy being with. And a lot of people could fit that description in our lives. You might like and enjoy a classmate. Someone you ride the bus with, a neighbor, a barista you like talking to in a coffee shop that you frequent. But would you consider them friends? Another definition goes a little deeper. It says a friend is a person one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection. So not only do you enjoy being with them, they enjoy being with you. And you know them and they know you and you have have a connection a a bond of mutual affection and if we think about our own circles of relationships on the outer circle there's probably a a group of of people that are acquaintances and then in, in in the middle circle there are people we might call friends who we spend time with and and enjoy together and then closer to us there might be close friends people that we could go to with a problem and know that we would not be turned away. So we, we feel safe with them. And sadly, many people only have acquaintances in their lives. Or maybe a couple of friends, but no close friends. Some of us might not have one person in our life to whom we can go to with anything. But we're not the first ones who have struggled with this. And we have good news today in that we're considering another piece of Jesus' heart. And we're going to discover that Jesus has a heart of friendship for us. And from such a friendship, we can offer friendship, true friendship, to one another. And so I want to invite you to find our text today, which is quite short, but is packed with meat. Matthew 11, verses 16 to 19. And it's going to introduce us to this concept of Jesus' friendship. Jesus is addressing a crowd, and he's talking about them, but notice the reference to friends in this passage. So Matthew 11, just the four verses, 16 to 19. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. So this passage follows what I think must have been, maybe, a somewhat shocking event in Jesus' life. And this is when John the Baptist's disciples come to ask Jesus whether or not he is the one sent from God. So John the Baptist was Jesus' relative. He was sent as the forerunner to announce the coming of the Messiah, but now he's in prison. So in chapter 11, verses 1 to to 5 or 5 or 6 we see this whole thing happen. And John is seemingly beginning to doubt Jesus, so he has his disciples ask, "Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another?" And after dealing with that by listing many proofs that Jesus was in fact the promised one, he starts to talk to the crowd and he asks them, "You know, what did you go out into the wilderness to see when you went to see John the Baptist?" In other words, more, what were your motives? what were your motives and then he goes a little deeper and says well who is john anyway and jesus will affirm john in his role as the promised forerunner of the messiah but he goes even further because there is a prophecy the last prophecy in the last words of the old testament malachi 4 verses 5 and 6 which state this behold I will send you Elijah, this is the Lord talking, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then in Matthew eleven thirteen and 14, Jesus says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus is affirming John as the messenger of God, the one who fulfills the prophecy about Elijah. And of course, Jesus himself is God the Son. And then Jesus asks the crowds another question, where he says at the beginning of verse 16, but to what shall I compare this generation? And he tells a parable of children in the marketplace. So apparently parents would go to the marketplace with their families and they would shop and barter and trade and while all of this was going on the children would play. And one game they would play would let's call it let's call it wedding and funeral where one group of children would pretend to play a flute And then the other group of children was supposed to respond appropriately pretending they were in a wedding. Or this group of children over here would sing a funeral song or a dirge and then the other group of children was supposed to act like they were in a funeral. And Jesus in the parable portrays the children over here as being frustrated by the children over here because they won't do what the children here want. So They pretend to play a flute, they expect the children here to act like they're in a wedding, but they refuse to dance, as if they're in a wedding. They sing a funeral song or a dirge, and the children over here refuse to mourn or play along with the game. And then he says Jesus is like children in the marketplace, And he doesn't designate who is who, but the application or the explanation of the parable is Jesus and John are one group of children, and the crowd is the other group of children. So if the other group of children, or the crowd, are the ones who are saying, we play a flute for you and you did not dance, we sang a song of funeral and you did not act, they're saying that Jesus and John did not come as they expected them to come and meet their expectations. Or if it's the other way where Jesus and John are the ones playing the flute and singing the song, the crowd refuses to respond to Jesus and John in an appropriate way. So, that's the meaning of the parable. Either interpretation shows this disconnect between Jesus, John, and the crowd. Notice... Both John and Jesus were messengers from God, but they came with a very different approach. So John came neither eating nor drinking, which means he was like the severe prophet in the wilderness, pointing to the holiness of God and announcing the coming judgment on corruption. And many were attracted by this approach. They were baptized by John in a baptism of repentance. Whereas Jesus came eating and drinking. He participated in the culture. He attended the banquets. He pointed to the joy and hope of the kingdom of God. So they came in different ways. They were both messengers from God. One commentator summarizes it like this. Jesus accepted invitations to urban banquets. John was a wilderness prophet who ate locusts and never went to banquets. Jesus came partly as God's ambassador to initiate relations with sinners, whereas John primarily took the role of biblical prophets in times of persecution. Jesus was a missionary within the culture. John was a critic from outside of it. Both messengers from God, and the crowd rejected both messages. They concluded John Was demonized or possessed by a demon, that's why he was like he was, and that Jesus was a glutton or drunkard or partied too much. And Jesus concludes with the statement, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So this is a rebuke of the crowd's response. Wisdom likely refers to God's wisdom, and it is shown or justified or vindicated by its deeds, meaning the fruit of John and Jesus' ministry would show they were authentic messengers from God. A New Testament scholar, Craig Blomberg, says this, Overall, the generation of Israelites in which Jesus found himself, with a few exceptions, rejected both John and Jesus' message. John was too ascetic, too strict for them. Jesus was too celebratory. And ironically, neither approach can please them. Just like children suggesting games to playmates who refuse to cooperate. But John and Jesus' actions ultimately represent God's wisdom. Jesus, embodied as wisdom, will demonstrate the heavenly origin of his ministry through his deeds. So this is the overall point of this section. And within it, there's a connection to Jesus' heart, and especially to Jesus' heart for friendship. And it comes when Jesus quotes what the crowd or what people were calling him or saying about him. Verse 19 again, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So note that phrase, a friend of tax collectors and and sinners. That was a phrase of derision, condemnation, accusation, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now to us, that phrase doesn't evoke the same response. For most of us, hopefully realize we're sinners. We say, do, and think things that go against God's ways and we don't have particular hatred, I don't think, for employees of the Canada Revenue Agency. We don't i haven't seen a hashtag that says hashtag evil tax collectors this just doesn't resonate with us the same way but to the jewish crowd in the first century these two groups tax collectors and sinners were the worst Uh, tax collectors were the worst because they were usually jewish and they worked for the romans or herod and they imposed this oppressive tax on their fellow countrymen. And sometimes they added another layer of tax for their own benefit. So they were getting rich out of their brothers' and sisters' wealth, and they were traitors to their country. Deeply hated. And then the sinners were those who lived a lifestyle of public sin. Prostitutes, adulterers, public drunks, thieves, all fit into this category of sinners. And the crowd accuses Jesus of being a friend of the worst of sinners. He was willing to meet with them, to eat with them, enjoy their presence even, and to a strict, God-fearing, holiness-pursuing Jew. That was horrible. You did not associate with such people if you didn't want your holiness compromised in some way. Well, how ironic. Especially the label, Sinners. Did the crowd think that because they didn't participate in any of the public sins, this removed them from the category of sinner? And just before we're too hard on them, don't we do the same thing? We look down on others entangled in more public sins, but we tolerate our own greed, bitterness, slander, lying, gossip, hateful thoughts. Oh, that's all okay. But look at those people over there in that public sin. Yet this label, friend of tax collectors and sinners, turned into a statement of comfort for many throughout history. So this is Jesus' heart for us that we're looking at today. Jesus has a heart of friendship towards the worst of sinners. He was a friend to the most despicable kinds of sinners known in that culture. And if someone is aware of their own sinfulness, this piece of Jesus' heart is great comfort. After all, where would the worst of sinners in that first century go for comfort? They couldn't go to judgmental religious people for comfort. They would just be condemned. Yet in Jesus, they find reason for hope, maybe motivation for change. So what kind of friend was Jesus? What did Jesus specifically do as a friend? Well, we see here, first of all, that he helps sinners feel welcome and comfortable around him. Not by joining them in their sin. He just went to be with them. He ate with them, enjoyed them, made time, was welcoming, and they felt welcome and comfortable. In fact, in Luke 15:1, we read the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. There was something about him, something welcoming, something encouraging, and they were drawn to him. The very group that is singled out here as the worst of the worst is drawn to Jesus. They're at ease around him. There's something different. Others hold them at arm's length. Jesus offers this enticing intrigue a fresh hope. And what he's really doing is drawing them in with his heart. So, Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, which we're following, points to this reality that in Jesus, we have a friend unlike any other. Even if we have really close and really deep friendships, we might not be fully comfortable divulging the depths of our hearts to them. We like them, love them even, but may not share the deepest, and yet Jesus knows the deepest. In Jesus, Ortland writes, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. He is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken, depending on how clean or unclean we are, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. Yet welcoming is not the only aspect of Jesus' friendship he also offered a deeper friendship to his disciples and one way that he did this was he revealed to his disciples the depths of his heart what was inside of them beyond the acquaintance level and beyond the fun level so john 15 verse 16 says no longer this is jesus talking no longer do i call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. So he's gone a level deeper with them. In that culture, the servant did not know what the master was thinking. He just had to obey the master. But if you invited someone into what your thinking was, what you're musing, have an idea, or this is what's, what I'm really thinking, that was friendship. Deep friendship involves revealing the depths of our hearts to one another. And Jesus has revealed his heart to us. To his disciples, he has opened himself up to us all through the Gospels, we see Jesus' heart and what he is thinking. So another way Jesus engaged in friendships with his disciples was he asked for support and prayer. He asked for support and prayer. And when Jesus suffered the agonizing horror and anticipating the cross, he asks his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to come with him and to watch and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew twenty six thirty eight. for example, Then Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And in this incident, Jesus will experience the disappointment of friendship. For they fall asleep. They fail him. Yet even in this he shows mercy. He acknowledged their spirits were willing, but their flesh was weak. And a third way Jesus showed the ultimate friendship was he laid down his life for his friends. And that's in John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus proved himself to be the ultimate friend by laying down his life for the disciples and for us. And Jesus has this heart of friendship that he offers to the worst of sinners And also ordinary sinners. And his heart of friendship goes deep. Or desires to go deep with those who are his disciples. We tap into this. How do we go about engaging in friendship with Jesus? And the first part of the last point, if you're following along on the bulletin there, is we need to receive the Lord's friendship for us receive his friendship sometimes we think we have to be good enough before we can engage in friendship with Christ we have to clean ourselves up we have to do this we have to do that well Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners that statement cuts through this belief that we have to clean ourselves in some way before Jesus will receive us and I think the greatest example of this is the thief on the cross There was nothing attractive or beneficial about Jesus inviting the thief on the cross into his friend circle. This would not elevate Jesus' social status, it would lower it. And yet, Jesus reaches out to him in love and friendship, saving him minutes maybe or hours before his death. And such mercy, love, and friendship is available to anyone willing to come to Jesus humbly so if you've never received Christ he invites you to come to him today yes as Lord yes as Savior also as friend but if we're already Christians we need to evaluate then our friendship with Jesus what kind of a friend have we been what is the state of our friendship like are are we keeping Jesus at arm's length giving Jesus the silent treatment Just not mentioning him, thinking of him, just the obligatory greeting in the morning, hello, Jesus, help me today, bye. Or are we engaging in friendship? Things like enjoying time with him, enjoying his presence as he enjoys our presence, hearing from his heart as he hears our heart. Opening up our hearts, sharing our hardships. So, first, we need to receive and act on the friendship that Jesus offers, and then, secondly, offer friendship to one another. From the friendship that we have with Christ, we, it overflows into friendship with others. And of course, we all have limits. We can't have 200 close friends, but we can have a few. And we can certainly reach out more than we have been to one another in this community. One of the hardest things I think about COVID is the isolation and the harm it's done between relationships. Isolation causes all kinds of issues and the devil loves it when we're isolated. And then we have to fight our thoughts alone or without others around us who will encourage us in our walk with Christ and in true friendship. And and so as we go forward from here with the potential of of things opening up a bit more we need to take advantage of this by grasping hold of those opportunities for face-to-face relationship and friendship. Something as simple as sticking around for a little bit after the worship service and I know some of you introverts are like oh no that's the worst thing you could ask of me I need to fire out of here lest anyone talk to me and yet Introverts, you need friends too. We all need that relationship. God built us to depend on one another. We complete each other in different ways. We encourage one another. We share life together. That's the opportunity of community. And when we have a deep friendship with Christ... It can overcome those obstacles that keep us from engaging in friendship with others. Out of the overflow of his friendship with us, we offer it to others. And that is going to be our challenge over the next weeks, months, and years. But perhaps most encouraging today, I hope, for you, is that even if you don't have close friends, you have an ultimate friend to start with in Jesus himself who welcomes you wherever you're at, whatever you've been doing or wherever you're coming from, and he showed his friendship for you by laying down his life for you already. And then from that, he will empower us, empower you to engage in deeper friendships with one another. Let's pray together as we prepare for the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, as we think of you, as we think of the ways in which you have come to this earth and left the glories of heaven so that we might have life, one aspect that strikes me is this aspect of friendship. We're invited to be friends with God. And we can't fully grasp that. There, we, 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 In some ways we struggle. We don't know how to do that. And yet here you were during your time on earth. Making time. Enjoying others' presence. Engaging with those who were rejected by everyone else. And so help us, Lord, to just accept your call your invitation to friendship with you. Forgive us if we've been keeping you at arm's length, ignoring you. It's no way to treat a friend, especially one who's died for us. And as we come to your table, we thank you again for giving us the greatest gift that could ever be given, life eternal with you and your Father. Amen.